0: Please be seated. Thank you, worship team. What uh, beautiful music, beautiful words to remind us of um, this occasion. We'll hear from the worship team in just a little while again. Um, It's good to spend Good Friday with you. Thank you for being here. Uh, As we've approached this day, and periodically I think of this verse as one of my favorites. Maybe you know it. it. Peter wrote it in his first letter. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. And I think about those italicized words, once for all time. Those are, those are weighty words. Those are significant words. Um, you know what that means. It means it's all done, game over, never again. It is finished. When you look through the Old Testament, two-thirds of the Bible um, all of the all of the special Jewish feasts and uh, celebrations and all of the sacrifices and all of the offerings and all of the prophecies—it all—it all leads to the cross of Christ, where Jesus would say, "It is finished." And Peter eventually would write, "Once for all time, once for all time." Now, I one would think, or I would think that words like that once for all time surrounding the cross, I don't know, shouldn't there be some type of fanfare like fireworks or confetti or trumpets or something signaling this major event once for all time? But alas, there were no trumpets, there was no confetti, there were no fireworks around the cross. But Matthew, in his gospel, tells us there were four physical events, four physical, eye-popping, jaw-dropping events. And as we approach communion in just a little while, I'd like to walk us through each of those four events to remind us of what they are and how they point to the cross. And the first one is this, darkness. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, "Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani," which means, "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me?" Around nine o'clock a.m., Jesus was hung on the cross, and at noon, this unexplainable, scientifically unexplainable darkness fell over the land, fell over Golgotha, Calvary, until three o'clock p.m. Darkness. Now, darkness can be a good thing if you're wanting to sleep. Or if you're wanting to watch the stars. But but typically darkness is uncomfortable for us. It's unsettling. That's why when we enter a room, we flip on the light. A child is not afraid of the light. A child is afraid of the darkness. Um, Sometimes we uh, uh, think of the universal sign of of a good idea. It's a light bulb overhead, not a black hole of darkness. Or if you were to say to me, you left me in the dark I'd be afraid that maybe I confused you or upset you in some way. Throughout the Bible, darkness is used as a metaphor for being separated from God. Spiritual lostness. That's what it means. And the, and, and the, and the Bible does, does not mince words. We are all born into this world spiritually in the dark, separated from God. And so from noon until 3 o'clock p.m., there was Jesus in the dark. And this was the time when he was taking the sin and the guilt and the shame of the world, yours and mine, onto himself. This is where he experienced the separation from his father. This is why he cried out, quoting Psalm 22. We just read it. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Not really asking a question, but stating the reality. Abandonment. So you and I would never have to feel abandoned by God. The Gospel of John tells us that right near the very end, Jesus cried out, It is finished. Game over. And then, the Gospel of Luke says his very last words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then, something amazing happened. He breathed his last breath. And there was a tear in the massive curtain in the Jewish temple. And all of a sudden, everything changed. This is what Matthew says. He released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In the Jewish calendar, there were, there were two primary days where the Jewish people went to seek forgiveness from God. There was the there was the day of atonement, maybe you've heard of Yom Kippur that's what it is. And in the Jewish temple, there was this massive curtain, maybe sixty feet high, four feet thick or four inches thick, uh, blue and uh, purple and scarlet colored colored uh, made of woven linen. And once a year the, the high priest would go behind this curtain where the holy of holies was. This is where God, God's symbolic earthly residence was. And he would go behind the curtain on behalf of the people and sprinkle, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And once again, the sins would be forgiven. And he would do this year after year after year after year. And then there was also, for seeking the atonement, the forgiveness of sin, the, the, the day of Passover. Maybe you know the story of Passover in the Old Testament where the Jewish people were, were rescued from slavery in Egypt. And then year after year they celebrated Passover day. And they would bring an unblemished lamb. And, and the blood of the lamb would be, would be sacrificed before God. And by faith people would be get forgiven of their sin. And this would be done year after year after year after year. One day, John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was 3 o'clock p.m., Jesus hanging on the cross, when he breathed his last breath. And when he breathed his last breath, this massive curtain inside the temple was torn from top to bottom by God. And it's like God is saying, "Oli, oli, income free, you now have access to me. You are welcome to come home simply through faith in the Lamb of God whose blood was shed for you once for all time. So you have the darkness pointing to what's happening to the cross. You have the the torn curtain pointing to what happened to the cross. But there was something else. It's really hard to simulate a real earthquake. But we tried. Matthew writes, the earth shook and rocks split apart. What does it take to get your attention? What does it take to get my attention? Can you imagine being in Syria or Turkey during the most recent earthquake? Last night, several of us met with a lady who lived through the earthquake of 2010 in Haiti. Killed 300,000 people. Horrible. An earthquake grabs your attention. Maybe you felt tremors here in northern Ohio at times. It gets your attention, doesn't it? We don't know how the earthquake on the day of the cross would have registered on the Richter scale. It was enough, like, evidently, to split rocks. That's pretty strong. What gets your attention? Sometimes maybe it's a, it's a, it's a view of the, of the majestic mountains. Sometimes it's a view of the ocean, the lake. Or maybe it's the birth of a baby. C.S. Lewis writes that, that, that pain is God's megaphone. Sometimes it's the hard news of a dot from a doctor or the death of a friend or a loved one. What gets your attention? Jesus did not leave with us earthquakes, although we feel them from time to time. He left us something much more practical, much more tactile. The bread and the cup, which we're going to hold in just a few moments. And that should remind each of us that Jesus walked through the darkness for us. He experienced abandonment for us. He took our shame and guilt and sin for us. And that is an earth-shattering, earth-quaking, earth-shaking, attention-getting reality. Reality. So we have, the, we have the darkness, and we have the, the torn curtain, and we, have the, and we have the earthquake. But there was something else. And tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. What? Only Matthew records this. The other Gospels are silent on this. As a special effect, to be honest, we looked for resurrected bodies. We could not find one. And the hologram technology did not come in time. So, I'm left with explaining what happened. But I can't. Do you know scholars debate what happened? How did this happen? Wait, when did this happen? In in the scheme of the weekend, the holy holy weekend? When did this happen? They debate. So we can't answer those questions very clearly. But we can answer one question. And that is, why? Why did this happen? Years ago, a pastor by the name of S.M. Lockridge, maybe you know this, he wrote a sermon called, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And in this, and in this, in this beautiful sermon, and you can look it up on YouTube, this beautiful sermon in, in this in this rhythmic cadence he starts with friday what friday's like jesus stumbling soldiers nailing women wailing enemy winning satan grinning and he goes on and on about friday but then he comes to sunday and he says but sunday's coming it's friday but sunday's coming it's friday but it's going to be all right and each of us in this room we understand what the metaphor of friday means we know hurt we know pain we know death we know hardship we know suffering and if you are a christ follower you understand How hard it is at times to walk through life and honor God because we are tempted all the time and the world throws all kinds of things at us. It's Friday and we feel that in our souls. Why is this given in Scripture by Matthew? I mean, many godly and women, men and women, got up from the grave and walked into Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? A kid runs home and said, I thought Uncle Tom died. I just saw him. I thought Aunt Mary passed away years ago. She's in the town right now. Now, Of course, they went on and and died again. So why is this there? To to give us a glimpse. To give us a hope. To give us a sense of it's going to be okay. that, That death and sin have lost their grip on you and me. Just stay close to Jesus, who died on the cross for us, Once for all time. Four events that point to the cross. Now, in just a moment, we're going to come to the front, and we're going to receive the bread and the cup. When we stand, some of you had to leave work to get here, and we understand that, so feel free to, when we stand up to to leave and go out the back. But if you would like to receive communion, if you have time for that, that sounds terrible. If you've got time for your communion, I don't mean it that way. But if you can, if you can join us, here, here's, here's what I'd like us to, to, to uh, think about. In three ways, what we're going to do will remind us of our, of our need for the cross of Christ, of our need for a Savior. When you stand up and walk down these aisles, you will be moving toward the cross, you'll be moving toward the cross, reminding yourself of our need for a Savior. And then also, as you're coming forward, the worship team will be leading us in song. And this song is going to remind us of our need for a Savior. Let let it resonate in your own heart. And then when you arrive at the table, uh, Pastors Jeff and Eric will serve you, and they will say to you, he did this for you. And then when you're done receiving it at the table, you'll go back to your seat. And this is what I would like for you to do, just the mechanics of it. Come down the main aisles. Those of you in the middle, come down the main aisles. Everybody comes down the two main aisles. And then in the middle here, when you go back, come back through the middle aisle here. And on the outside, go back on the outside and return to your seat. That's just the mechanics of it, okay? When you return to your seat, You can take the bread and the cup whenever you are ready. You won't hear from me again. Take it when you are ready. And then, once you are done taking the bread and the cup, feel free to sit here, linger here. The worship team will play for a while. Use it as as a time of reflection, a time of prayer. And then, when you're ready, just leave. The service is over. Like I said, you won't hear from anyone again. When you're ready to leave, leave. Leave with a, with a spirit of solemnity. This is a solemn occasion, but also in your heart knowing that Sunday's coming and we'll see each other soon. So what I'd like to do is to uh, have us all just bow with a word of prayer and I'll remind us in our prayer what the bread and cup are about and then we'll stand up and come forward. God, thank you now for this time to come before you. We're reminded of what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread and he said, this this represents my body given for you, broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then then he took the cup and he said, this, this, this cup represents my blood shed for you. It represents the blood of the new covenant. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. God, we are here to confess to you that we are not who we want to be. We are, we are clearly, we fall short. Even in the sins our own, in our own hearts right now, we confess those to you. But in the next breath, we say thank you that you take us right where we are. And we say thank you for forgiving us. Once for all time, we lean into the cross of Christ. And we say also, we will follow you whatever you lead. Help us to... To grow in Christ. We need your help. We need your grace, please. Thank you. The gospel, you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so now as we come toward the cross, singing together, receiving the bread and the cup, we say thank you. We remember. And we also remember that Sunday's coming. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please, when you're ready, come forward.
1: you mm-hmm. welcome to sit and reflect, but at this point you are dismissed and you're welcome. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, they know.